It is a delight to be with you guys here today. I am so thrilled to be at chapel at BCM, and uh, I greatly appreciate the opportunity afforded me to, to address you at this time. I appreciate Pastor, and I don't know who, who all makes these decisions, but whoever it is, I, I greatly appreciate it. I have so enjoyed the conference. Uh, it's, um, it has not refreshed my body, but it has refreshed my spirit. I've been, I'll be honest, I, I don't think I've ever been at a conference where I've had so many opportunities to speak and love it. Uh, it's such a great, a great opportunity, and, and I've enjoyed that enormously. And uh, I've enjoyed getting to know some of you students. I, I just, I feel like God is doing something in this place, and I'm excited about it. This is my first time ever to be here, and it has been, it has been a great joy to me. And I thank you all for all that you've done. Missions Conference is, to me, it's a highlight every year. Um, uh, and I, ho- I hope it is to you. You say, that's just because you're a missionary. It was a highlight to me before I was ever a missionary. I always looked forward to missions conference. I love hanging around with, around with missionaries, even before I was one. Uh, th- to me, I think missionaries are, they're the people I'd rather be around out of everybody. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm so delighted to have this time and, and to hear the, the the presentations about the different fields, about the needs, about what God is doing around the world, it just fires me up. Um, and I, over and over, I'm like, okay, I want to go to that field. Uh, th- there aren't enough of me because I want to go to many of them. And uh, I've been so encouraged to hear that and to meet uh, the brothers and sisters that are serving all over the world. It's, it's thrilling to me. I want you to open your Bibles to begin with. We're going to be in a variety of places. Open up to the end of Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. And uh, I want to talk to you about a subject that is one that is not a familiar subject to Americans. I want to talk to you about hunger. Uh, Now, we say we're hungry, okay, because it's chapel and it's 1020, and we haven't eaten, like, for two whole hours. And we're hungry... But the truth of the matter is most of us have never experienced hunger. You say, well, once I fasted, I don't think we know what hunger is. I mean, real hunger. Uh, the hunger that many people around the world do know what it is. We don't really know what it is. And, and in Acts, we're going to start here in Acts 11, and it speaks about that. And I want to take just a moment to read this passage, and then we're going to have a word of prayer, and then we're going to get into the, to the other th- things we do. You know, before we read the passage... I forget. I'm kind of focused on the message. Let me, mention, um, let me mention what was mentioned earlier. Quick, quick commercial. Uh, May 28th through June 4th, uh, International Board of Jewish Missions has a missions trip to New York City. Um, if you're from New York City, please don't be offended. We, we, we say that it's to an island off the coast of America. Which is technically correct. Uh, but if you, it, for those of you who haven't been in New York City, it seems like a whole different world, and we work together with Shalom Baptist Church in Queens, New York, and we will spend the week on the streets doing evangelism, and every nation, tongue, tribe, religion, color, and species is right there on the sidewalks of New York City. It is crazy, and it is exciting, and uh, in fact, it's interesting. Myself and Brad Blanton, who used to be on staff here, we, we're the ones who lead this trip, and I would, if, if you're interested in having a chance to do ministry... You say, to who? Well, in New York City, by definition, to everybody, 
but we are emphasizing ministry to the Jewish people. Uh, so ministry to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Uh, you can come and see us for that. If, if that sounds a little radical for you, uh, in, later in June, on June 21 through 24, we have something called four-day focus on Jewish missions. It's a four-day conference. You come from Monday through Thursday to board headquarters down in Chattanooga, and we will spend four days give, making you into an expert on Jewish ministry. Uh, by the way, that is free to full-time Bible college students. You have to get to Chattanooga. We'll provide your lodging, your food. It's good food. And the conference. Uh, caveat, just so you'll know, full disclosure, and we will try to recruit you to be missionaries to the Jewish people. <laughs> uh, you knew that, right? I mean, is that obvious? I mean, why do you think it's free? Uh, so, uh, so, for those of you who would like to know more about Jewish ministry, come to Four Day Focus. For those of you who are like, oh, I can't sit through more classes, come to New York City. We'll give you one class and then throw you in, the, throw you in with the sharks. And so we will have fun in both places, and we invite you. Uh, Acts chapter 11, we're going to be starting out, in, at, I said, toward the end of the chapter, verse 27. It says, And in those days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch. And there stood up one of them named Agabus, not sure why his parents named him that. And signified by the Spirit that there should be great dearth, great famine, a great hunger throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea, which also they did, and sent it to the elders by the, by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Let's take a moment and ask the Lord's blessing on his word. Father, we, we come to you. And we are so grateful for this time that we have to open your word together. Father, we ask that you would be lifted up here. We ask that your voice would speak out today through the word of God. Lord, you've promised that when we gather, you'll be here in the midst of us. The question is not whether you'll work. The question is whether our hearts will be open, whether we'll receive the word, whether we will respond to the word. And I pray that, that you would do a great work in our hearts today, that your spirit would, would rule in this place, and that every heart would respond as you would have them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So in this, in this, in this passage of Scripture, we read about something, and, and what it talks about here in Acts is, is further elaborated on in Romans and in 1 Corinthians and in 2 Corinthians because there was a great famine back in Judea, back in Israel. Okay, so, so to properly understand this, in Acts, at the start of Acts, the church existed only in Jerusalem and was 100% Jewish. But as we go through the book of Acts, we see the church then spreading and becoming geographically more, more, more spread out, geographically more dispersed. And at the same time, we see it being not only 100% Jewish, but then spreading out and becoming Jewish and Gentile both. And so here, here Agabus is saying, okay, back where it all began, back in Judea, back in Jerusalem, back in Israel, there's going to be a great famine. And so, so all of those that heard, the disciples, it says in 29, that heard about this, and this is going to include Paul and Barnabas, uh, they say, well, you know, if, if our brothers in Judea are in need, we're not just going to sit on our hands and say, oh, be warm and filled. 
Okay, we're going to do something. We're going, to, we're going to act to meet that need. And so they decided, as it says here, they determined to send relief to the brethren which, de- which, which dwelt in Judea. And so they said, we're going to gather up an offering and send it there to help them so that they will be able to, to get the food that they need to, to get through this hard time. And, and so that we have this, this narrative that runs through, this, through the New Testament, mostly in the Pauline epistles. And, and so we see that going on. And it's talking about a famine. And famines aren't good. Um, like I said, we, we don't know anything about famines. Uh, you know, some, you know we, we could say, you know, once I fasted for two days, for three days, and boy, I was really, really hungry. You were only sort of hungry. Okay, really hungry barely happens in America. Uh, back in the 30s. The leader of the Soviet Union was a guy named Joseph Stalin. Um, and he was angry with some people in, uh, that lived somewhat in Russia, but mostly over in Ukraine. But Ukraine was also in the Soviet Union. Uh, they, were, they were farmers. In fact, it's incredibly rich farming area. And, and so they, they, were very, they were farmers, and they were successful farmers, which is really better than being an unsuccessful farmer. And, and they grew a lot of food, and they sold it. In fact, they were supplying food to much of Russia and, 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 and exporting it over into the rest of Europe as well. They, they, it was known as the breadbasket of Europe at one time. And because they were so successful, they became crazy wealthy. Now, when I say crazy wealthy, in those standards, which meant that they had... They owned their own land, and maybe they had a couple of cows, too. Okay, so not crazy wealthy in the sense that you and I would think crazy wealthy, but in that environment, that seemed like wealth. Well, because of that, they, they, they felt a little independent. We have our land. You know, they, I mean, did anybody ever notice that farmers tend toward independent? Uh, and, and, and so Stalin decided, we've got to put these guys down because they're not, fi- they're not towing the party line. And so he sent the commissars there to that region, he, and he said to these people, okay, now we've just nationalized all the farms. It's not your farm anymore. It now belongs to the government. And those farmers said the same thing as Wisconsin farmers would have said. They said, you got about 20 seconds to get off my place before I put a hole in you. So he sent in the army. And he killed most of them. The ones he didn't kill, most of those he packed up in trains and shipped them to Siberia. The few that were left, well, he sealed the borders of the whole region. They went through and took every scrap of food out of the region. And they left the people to starve. There's arguments about how many millions starved to death. Uh, I frequently end up in the city of Kharkov. IBJM has a team of people in Kharkov. I've seen pictures of dead bodies laying in the city streets of Kharkov, just walking down the sidewalk and fell over dead from hunger. And it was horrible, okay? That's hunger. What we, we, we don't know a lot about that. Hunger was coming to Judea, and the apostles said, we got to do something. We can't let our brothers and sisters starve. We've got to do something. Now, folks, I've been to Israel, not recently since they threw me out, but I've been to Israel, I've lived there, and Israel is a modern, uh, a modern country and in many respects similar to the U.S., and the people there are not starving to death, okay? The people there have enough food. But I really want to, I want, I, I want to apply this scripture in such a way, I want you to think about Acts chapter 8 where it says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, 
saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread nor thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And they shall wander from sea to sea and from the north to the east. They shall run to and fro and seek the, seek the word of the Lord and shall not find it. The prophet Amos said there's a day coming when there's going to be a great famine. Not of food, but a famine of the word of God. I don't know about you, but I've, I've, I've seen that famine this week. As missionary after missionary has come and they've told about the conditions in these countries around the world. The Jewish people are in a famine of the Word of God. It's, it's, the irony of it is shocking, okay? Because God gave His Word through the Jewish people. His Word was preserved in great detail with great accuracy by the Jewish scribes. The Jewish people think of themselves as people of the book, and yet the Jewish people today don't know their own Bible. They have a Bible, but they don't know it. I, I am not exaggerating. I'm going to say something that sounds shocking, but it's not an exaggeration. I promise you that the kids in a third grade Sunday school class at Falls Baptist Church, your third grade kids know more Bible than most Jewish adults. Uh, way more. And that's not an exaggeration. Now, there will be exceptions, but rare. They don't know the Word of God. Even the religious often don't know their, their own scriptures. Uh, I was on a train traveling from Dnieper, Ukraine, to Kiev, Ukraine. And uh, the, there was in, we were in a compartment here, and the next compartment was an Orthodox Jewish family. And, and we, we stepped out of the compartment into the little tiny hallway to get air, and they also stepped out, and so we began to engage them in conversation. And, and as we did, we began to say, have you ever studied the prophecies? Okay, you know where I'm headed. Uh, have you ever looked into the prophecies? And they're like, well, what prophecies? We said, for instance, the prophecy in Daniel chapter 9. And the Orthodox Jewish man said, what do you mean Daniel chapter 9? We're like, well, in the Bible, in the Jewish Bible, in the, the prophet Daniel chapter 9. And he said, there is no such prophet Daniel. We're like, yeah, it's right, it's, it, it, it's there in your Bible. He says, that's something you Christians have added there is no Daniel in our Bible. And we said, excuse me, may, may I have your Bible? And took it from him and said, that Daniel? Oh, I guess there is a Daniel. This was a very, very religious man who doesn't even know the books that are in his own Bible. Okay, there's a great famine. It's not that the word of God is not available. Like, see, because in the world today, we've got religion over our head. We've got vast amounts of religion everywhere we go. But we have precious little word of God. And because of that, the world is perishing. That's true in the Jewish people. They, they, they don't have the word of God. They have the traditions of the rabbis. And, and that's a pretty skinny blanket that won't keep you warm on a cold night. Okay? That won't save the soul. Okay, but it's not just the Jewish people. The people in Cameroon need the word of God, desperately need the word of God. The, the, the people in Uganda, the people in Kenya, in, uh, in Ukraine, in Peru, in India, there's a desperate need for the teaching and preaching of God's word in all of these countries. So we're reading about the prophecy of, of, uh, of this prophet, and he says there's going to be a famine, 
people are going to go hungry. We've got to do something about it. And so they developed a plan. In 1 Corinthians 16, Paul writes to the Corinthians and says, listen, everybody, take up a collection and we're going to gather it all together. Then I'm going to come by, pick it up, I'll take it to Jerusalem and we'll give it to the needy saints. Okay, uh, over in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 8. He speaks again about this, this same concept, and he says here, I speak not by commandment. 2 Corinthians 8.8, 8, I speak not by commandment. He says, I'm not telling that you need to do this because I'm ordering you to, and you're going to be in trouble if you don't. I speak not by commandment, but by the occasion of the forwardness of others and to prove the sincerity of your love. He said, it's not that I'm trying to make you do this. If you have Christian love in your heart, you want to do this. And then in verse 9, he says, think about your example. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. He said, look, if Jesus, who had the riches of, of glory, could lay that aside and be born in poverty as a baby on a, on a filthy, sinful world, if he could go from being wealthy to being poor for your benefit is it a big thing if you were able to become slightly less wealthy by giving to these who need so greatly follow the example of Christ and do this okay in Romans chapter 15 talking again same topic same theme we go over to Romans chapter 15 and in verse 25 and uh and he's writing about this he says but now I go into Jerusalem to minister unto the saints for it hath pleased them of Macedonia and of Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. Look at verse 27. It hath pleased them verily, and their debtors they are. He says it's pleased these saints in Macedonia and Achaia to do it, and these saints in, in, in Greece and Macedonia and Achaia, they are in debt to those folks back there in Judea. Why are they in debt? For if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. What's he saying? He's saying, so these Gentile Christians who lived in Greece received from the, from the, the same Jewish people there in Jerusalem and in Judea, they received the gospel. They ministered to them in spiritual things. They gave them the most precious treasure in the world, the word of God, the gospel. So if they receive that much from those folks, is it really a big deal if they are to give them something material to help them when they're hungry? It's the least they can do because they really owe them a debt of gratitude. The least they could do is then contribute to help these people when they're in need. I think that makes perfect sense. We could talk about, about the debt that we owe to the chosen people of God. Because as I said earlier, it was through them that we received the word of God. God gave the word of God through the Jewish people. It was through them that the word of God was preserved. It was through them that Messiah came. It was through them that we have the apostles. And so we've received much from them. And yet these people, God's chosen people, through which so many blessings have come to us, are now separated from God. They don't know the scriptures and they're perishing. 
Can we sit beside and watch and say, well, that's just their tough business. Tough for them, good for us. Or are we going to say, you know, there's a sense in which we are debtors to them. And if we've been blessed so much by them, how can we not go back and take the gospel to them? So Paul sent word out around the area. Hey, everybody, famine, they're hungry. We're going to do a collection. So everybody, pile up some money, make a collection, save up your pennies. I'm going to come around and collect it and take it to them. Okay? Now, in the area that we now call Greece, the southern area was called Achaia. Okay, so you're talking like Athens and, and, and Corinth in that area. But then in the northern part, you have Macedonia. So Philippi, Thessalonica, and that, that stuff up in the northern part. And, and at this time, they were, they were separate, the Macedonia and Achaia. And so Paul wrote to both of those groups about it. Now, the Corinthians were the wealthier people uh, for a whole variety of reasons. Down in Achaia, they had money, they had power, they were in, okay? They had nice houses. Things were, things were pretty sweet down there in Achaia. And, and so the Corinthians, when they heard, oh, no, those guys are in need? Oh, that's terrible. You know, somebody ought to do something to help. We'll do something. We're in, Paul. You can count on us, Paul. But we see something very strange in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. The Corinthians who said, we're in, we'll help, we got this. A year later, haven't done anything. Look at verse 11. Paul's writing. It's kind of funny. Uh, now, therefore, perform the doing of it. For as there was a readiness to will, so there may be a performance also out of that which you have. He said, guys, great that you're talking big. We're in, Paul. You can count on us. But you haven't done anything. It's time to step up and do the job. It's time to get out there and, and not just talk about it, but do it. It's good that you will to do it, but if you will to do it and you don't do it, it really doesn't help anybody at all. So the Corinthian response was, we're in, count on us, we got this. But they didn't actually do anything. Uh, over in, in chapter 9, verse 3, he says, yet, I, yet have I sent the brethren lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this behalf. As I said, you may be ready, lest happily, when, if they of Macedonia come with me and find you unprepared, we, that is not to say ye, should be ashamed in the same confident boasting. Therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren that they would go before unto you and make up beforehand your bounty, where if you had noticed before, that the same might be ready as a matter of bounty and not a, as of covetousness. Okay, so basically what he's saying, he's like, Okay, guys, I'm coming through Macedonia, and in Macedonia, I'm saying, hey, guys down there in Corinth, man, they got right on this. They jumped right on it, and now I'm here where you haven't done anything. Some of the guys from Macedonia are coming with me to Corinth to collect the money. And I've been telling them how much you guys were doing, and now I'm here, and you haven't done a thing. You just talked. So I'm sending messengers saying, let's get this done. And he tells them about the Macedonian response. Moreover, uh, chapter 8, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit. I like do you to wit. I think that should be a part of our regular conversation. 
It means I want you to know, but I think we should say, hey, I do you to wit that I'm not going to be able to make the meeting today. I think that would be great. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreating that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. I want to take a minute and contrast the response of the Macedonians and the response of the Corinthians. Because I'm not interpreting, I'm applying, okay? There was a real famine, uh, and he was writing about a real situation that was happening there in the first century. But we can take these principles and apply them to the situation. There was a famine then of bread. There's a famine now around the world in the Jewish people and with all of these other peoples, there's a famine of, of the word of God. And at that time, the Christians said, we've got to do something. We can't sit still and watch. We must. We are compelled to do something. That's right. And today, that's really the whole point of the missions conference, we must act. We cannot sit here and go, oh, that's terrible. Let's change channels because it's just really upsetting me. We must do something. And so there is a plan set forth to take up a collection and take it to them. And there's a plan set forth. It's called world missions. And the call goes out. What will you do? Then and today, essentially the same call. And then and today, there are Corinthians and there are Macedonians. And in this room, there are some Corinthians. And in this room, there are some Macedonians. The Corinthians are those who say, oh yeah, I got this. I, I, I believe in, amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Good preaching. I'm for, I love, don't you just love missions conference? And they talk a big show. You know what? Probably it's intent. Probably they're not being insincere. They're not being hypocritical. They probably love it. They probably love Missions Conference. They're, they probably are sincere about that. There's all kinds of good intentions going on there. But if you're Corinthian, good intentions is where it ends. You get stirred up. You get excited. You have good intentions. But you never actually get around to doing anything. Our churches are full of Corinthians who have good intentions but who never get it done. Can we look more carefully? I just read very quickly through that passage about the Macedonians. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Notice in verse 2, they're extremely limited resources. How that in a great trial of affliction. And then later it speaks about their deep poverty. These people didn't have anything. Okay, they had deep poverty. They were very, very poor people. And it talks about a great trial of affliction. They were being persecuted for their faith. So we have Christians who are very poor and being persecuted. It's interesting to me. 
I may be reading too much into this, but if, if you look down um, in verse 5, he says, and this they did not as we hoped. You could understand that to mean that Paul didn't really want them to do anything. I don't really believe that's what it means. I, I think it's the kind of thing where Paul is writing a letter. He's saying, okay, we're going to send out a letter to all these churches and tell them about this need. Here's the church letter to Macedonia. Dear Macedonians, there's a great need in the churches in Judea. And then he stops. He's like, I can't ask them for help. Those guys are so poor. They're under terrible persecution. What can they do? It's almost, you almost feel bad asking for... You, I feel bad to even ask them. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe they can contribute something. We ought to let them at least be a part of this. All right, well, I kind of feel bad writing a letter, but I'll go ahead and write it. That's kind of how, how I see this. So, so they are in terrible situation, great trial of affliction and deep poverty. Now, when we think about great trial of affliction and deep poverty, we think, oh, no, I don't think I'm going to survive. But don't think like that about Macedonians. Because these Macedonians, though they were in a great trial of affliction and in deep poverty, it speaks of their abundance of their joy and that they'd abounded under the riches of their liberality. Now, we're not getting political here. We're not saying they were political liberals, okay? Liberality that they, they gave generously. They gave freely. They gave liberally. When they saw a need, they were like, wow, we get to help. Let's do this. And they were filled with joy. And though they were very poor, they couldn't wait to give. They had great joy in their giving. And then he says, for to their power they gave. He said, you know what? They said, we're going to give everything we can afford. We're going to give to the limit of our power. We're going to give everything that we can. Yeah, you know what? That's not a good idea. Let's not give everything we can. Let's give more than that. Because that's what it says. It says, for to their power... I bear record. Yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves. Okay, we can afford this much. Oh, that's too little. Let's do a lot more than that. They went beyond their power. They went beyond what they could do. So often we, we hear about the, the, the needs, perhaps in Uganda or, or in Cameroon or, or the Jewish people, whatever. And we go, what can I do? How can I meet that? I'm just like one little person, and I don't even really, I'm, not, I'm just a very little person. The way you give beyond your power is by faith, by saying, I will go and trust God to do far beyond what I could do. To your power is when you give five loaves and two fishes. Beyond your power was when God takes the five loaves and two fishes and feeds 5,000. That's missions. You don't have the ability to meet the need. You've got five loaves and two fishes. But if you'll give your loaves and fishes and put it in the hands of God, he will multiply that and do things with that that are far beyond your power. The Macedonians gave to their power and beyond their power praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. When I saw what they were preparing to give, I was like, guys, 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 you need to think this through. You really like it. Now stop for a minute. And they're like, no, Paul, stop, Paul. Take the money. Go. Take it. Go. You know, we're going to give it. And okay, so they, they had to much entreat Paul that he would take it. Okay? And then verse 5 is the crowning verse. It's a beautiful verse. 
And this they did not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and us and unto us by the will of God. They said, you know what? We gave as much as we could afford. We gave more than we could afford, but that's too little. I'll go. I want to go myself. I'm stepping up. I want to go. And the Macedonians were like that. I love the Macedonians. The world is full of people. The world's full of Corinthians. Nice people, sweet people, with good intentions, who are going to do something for God when they get around to it. And then there's Macedonians. They may be poor, they may be persecuted, but they want to get involved in the work of God. They're willing to give to their power, beyond their power. They're willing to give themselves. So it's a missions conference at Falls Baptist Church. And you've seen needs laid out in front of you from around the world. And the question that stands before each one of us today is, am I, Corinthian, am I a Corinthian or am I a Macedonian? Am I going to say, praise the Lord, hallelujah, that was a great conference? but not actually do anything? Or am I going to step out and say, here, my Lord, send me? Am I going to step out and say, but gave of their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God? Um, can I ask the missionaries to step forward, please? Each one of you missionary families, maybe one person from each family, could I get you guys to come up for a minute? Uh, and I said, guys, if, okay, Rebecca's not, I think she's in another place ministering right now. These men and their families, they're Macedonians. They've laid down their lives, given themselves for the work. Every one of them is praying, God, send us laborers. I'm praying, God, send us people to get to reach the Jews. And every one of these men is praying, saying, God, send us laborers. What will you do?